You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I talk to former Washington tight end Logan Paulson as we break down new left tackle Charles Leno Jr., whom he played with in Chicago. Logan also goes in depth on tight end John Bates, a choice that surprised him, but then pleased him after doing some work. We also talk about Sam Cosme. You'll love Logan's breakdown of these players. It gets me riled up enough to drop a cuss word at one point. We also talk a little more on new tight end Samus Reyes. Make sure you follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82, P-A-U-L-S-E-N 82. He occasionally breaks down plays and players on his site. It's good information. And of course, you can read my work on ESPN.com. We have a complete rundown of the schedule on the site right now, and that's for every team, but there is one devoted to Washington. I will be at the Rookie Minicamp this weekend, and we'll have a podcast up when it's finished. My understanding is there will be about 20 to 21 players out at the camp. Samus Reyes will be out there. So it's a first chance to see everybody and talk a little bit about them. And don't forget about the offer from monkeyknifefight.com. They're giving you a free $5 game and a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Pretty strong deal. Just use promo code JKR, and you'll hear more about this in a minute. Anyway, before I play my conversation with Logan, here are a few thoughts. And this one, I start on a sad one because I neglected to mention Colt Brennan's death on the previous podcast. I know you probably heard about this, and there's not a whole lot to say other than it was just a sad situation. He had a lot of pain in his life, both physical and mental, and my understanding is that his family fought hard to help him. It's just sad. I don't need to rehash these issues here other than, other than to say they were real and they existed for a long time. I will always remember him, his showing in the Hall of Fame game his rookie year and how afterward Santana Moss raved about him in his presence and said he just had it. But for some reason, Jim Zorn wasn't high on him. I talked to one former player the other night who said he was the best quarterback on the roster during that, that time and that it wasn't really close. The player also talked about Brennan's work prep. It wasn't very good, which could have turned off coaches. However, he seemed to be the guy at least some players wanted at the position, and then injuries derailed him. Also, the players look back and laugh at the Zorniers, and this is separate from obviously the, the Brennan tragedy, but they look back and laugh at the Zorniers, amazed that they convinced themselves that they could actually win despite what they knew was going on. Regardless, with Colt Brennan, I will choose to remember the Brennan of those preseason games and the enjoyable kid he was to deal with. Again, just a sad situation. As for the schedule, it's a unique finish to say the least with five straight division games. And listen, the last time it was that bad was 1970. They finished with six straight division games. That will be good or bad depending on where Washington is entering that stretch. Listen, none of those teams were over 500 last year, so it's not as if we're talking 
a finish of Tampa, KC, Seattle, Green Bay. However, playing the same team twice in three weeks as Washington must do with Dallas and Philadelphia, that's never easy. And you're kind of, for either team, but certainly it's going to be difficult. But if Washington is three games out with five to play, you'll be thankful for this setup. If it's the opposite, it will be a tough finish. But again, not ideal. And I mean, nobody's done this in a long time. So I don't know what was going into that thought process. It's just an odd finish. And we'll see if it's good or bad when the season plays out. Every year when the schedule is released, every team's fan base seems to call it the hardest in the NFL and the league is against them. Maybe not everybody does that, but certainly you hear that a lot from all over the place. I will say one thing I'll say, going by strength of schedule is difficult because one year doesn't really predict the next and teams change. Like the teams that Washington is playing next year, Dallas will be different. New York will be different. Philly is different. Um, but let's just go as of now, based on last year's record, Washington's schedule ranks as the 17th easiest. So really they're kind of right in the middle. It's a 504 winning percentage. However, it is the hardest of the NFC East teams, mainly because the three games decided by the standings from last year are against Buffalo, Seattle, and Green Bay. That's a price for winning the division. And again, with Green Bay, who the heck knows? Because so much of that depends on Aaron Rodgers. But I do think the East will be much better this year. So those games will be harder. The Chargers should be better. The Saints, who knows? No Drew Brees. The Packers will depend on what they do with Aaron Rodgers. But of course, one team that could be in the mix for him is Denver, and they play them right after Green Bay. So and Washington, will, will Tampa Bay play at the same level? Hard to do so even if everyone returns. But I also think Atlanta will be improved too. And then injuries play a factor as to how hard it appears. San Francisco looked a lot different during the season than it did when the schedule was announced in 2020 at this time last year. In the NFL, it's really all about when you play a team. Heck, Washington was a far tougher game at season's end than they were in the beginning in large part because of more professional quarterback play. That's why when I have to predict what records or whatever, when I view how a team, I don't really look at the schedule as much as I look at the team's roster and the makeup. Are they better? How much so? Well, I think Washington is better and it will, they'll be fun to watch on offense. I think the defense will be better. The stats might not show it as much because the quarterbacks are scheduled to face just a deeper right now, deeper roster of quarterbacks that are going to have to face much tougher than last year. Washington won seven games in a season where its head coach faced cancer and he needed to start four quarterbacks. Yes, the division was bad, but that was but what they did was a sign of growth. Imagine if Washington had used a legitimate starting quarterback for even 14 games. Would have won maybe three more games. It has a legit starting quarterback now with improved weapons around him. So I can definitely see this team winning two or three more games. On paper, they look like a 10-win team, but we'll see. And again, I think the defense will be better too with not, you know, Davis, we'll see, but with William Jackson third, I think there's just more depth, et cetera. We'll see. I'm going to say that a lot. One last nugget on safety, but I'm defensive back Biden McCain. I was told there's still a possibility Washington could sign him. My read on that is this. He asked for too much money. So if his wishes come down, he could end up here and Washington will stick to its offer. I think we learned that with the Leno signing. I was a little surprised Leno signed the deal he did, which is a one-year contract worth up to 5 million. But it turns out he just wanted to get it done. His wife is about to deliver their child. He just, he wanted the security of having a job and knowing where he'll be. I think Washington caught a break here. And the, and the offer was one I was sure Leno would have rejected. But Washington told them it was a final offer and they stuck to that statement. Again, it makes me wonder what they'll do at tackle overall. They have a ton of depth and competition. 
two words that they really are going to stress. And you'll hear Ron Rivera say that a lot between now and the season starts. But did they really draft Sam Cosby to be a swing tackle as a rookie? Leno did not sign here thinking he'd be a backup, though the money suggests that could be the case if he doesn't win the job, if they don't, if they like someone a lot better. Regardless, Washington's line depth as of right now is as strong as it's been in a long time. Considering there's now 17 games, that is a must. Their season shouldn't be derailed by O-line injuries. Not many teams can say the same right now. And one last point on Leno. He's very much, my understanding, is a student of the game. I was told he loves talking about the nuances of blocking at the position, hand placement, et cetera, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. The funny thing is he was bad as a right tackle in Chicago, and then they moved him to the left side, and he was much better. Um, again, for $5 million bucks, he is a strong signing. Anyway, that's it from me. After this break, I'll be back with Logan Paulson as he breaks down Charles Leno, provides an update on Samus Reyes, and gets in-depth on rookie tight end John Bates. You will enjoy it. And don't forget to follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about a fun new offer from Monkey Knife Fight that can enhance any sports experience, whether you're at a game, on your couch, or in a bar. It's a daily fantasy sports league that is easy to play. You can sign up on monkeyknifefight.com using promo code JKR and play games such as more or less. Will an NBA player score more or less than a listed point total? You can do the same in baseball. Will a pitcher have more or less strikeouts than a given amount, etc.? It's fun, and every Friday it's Home Run Derby, bet on three guys who had home runs that night. All three hit one, you share in the prize pool. Every week you can participate in their Eagle Eye jackpot based on the PGA Tour. Choose from any sport, from NASCAR to UFC and League of Legends. And of course, once football rolls back around, there will be even more fun prop bets. This is daily sports betting designed for the average fan to use their knowledge and have some fun. Sign up now at monkeyknifefight.com and use promo code JKR. That's promo code JKR. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Logan Paulson. All right, Logan, my expert here. We've got a couple guys I want you to break down. And one plays your old spot, John Bates, tight end, right, Washington draft pick. And then, of course, I want to start with Charles Leno, the tackle from Chicago, whom they just signed Right before we're taping this, right. so I am curious. Let's start with him. Yeah, you, you so said, I, yeah, you said so you I, played with him. I played, yeah, I played with Charles in uh, in Chicago for a year, and he was just coming off like a Pro Bowl season or a Pro Bowl alternate season. And I think he's a very good player. I don't think he's quite that Pro Bowl caliber. I think he's kind of like that second tier of offensive tackle that's really productive, kind of better value than you know he makes your team better. And I think he's a good athlete understands angles, understands the outside zone game very nicely, which is a little surprising because the Washington football team doesn't do a ton of that. Maybe they'll get to more of that with a tackle right. who can move like that. And then I think he's solid in pass protection. I think he's got very, very good technique. I think he's got good balance, good base. He sinks his hips nicely. Um, he gets a little lazy with his hands at times, but that's kind of what you're going to see at the position. And I think he's an upgrade. You know, I think athletically he's an upgrade. I think he's probably – on the downhill from when I played with him, which was about five years ago, but I think you still get a solid football player. It'll be interesting to see how they utilize him, if he makes the team or what, but, um, you know, I think he's got some good tread on the tire still, and I think it's a nice uh, upgrade at the, at the position. You're a little bit surprised because they drafted Sam Cosme, who I want to get into in a minute, 
And they also have Morgan Moses at the right side. You a little bit surprised with this move? I am a little bit surprised, yeah, because, I, you know, like I think I've talked to you about this before, of that kind of second-tier group of offensive tackle, like Sam Cosby was the one, one, two, three guys who could play as a true left tackle, right? A guy that you felt like you could bank on him playing left tackle. And so it's a little surprising to me because I feel like you could, got, you could have gone, if you're, if you're thinking about playing musical chairs and having someone play right tackle, you know, there was some really good right tackles available, maybe better right tackle, you know, a guy who could come in and start right away. You, you, you take Cosby because of his tremendous upside, because of that tremendous athleticism, a guy who can fill that left tackle spot. And maybe because he is a little green technique wise, you want to sit him for a year. I don't think so, uh, but maybe that's what they're thinking, you know, and, and then again, to that, you know, like, you get a player like Leno falling in your lap at this at this time of year, like you got to take advantage of it. Um, and so maybe it's an open competition at camp and you see what happens. Because, you know, like I'm a big believer, like if you can upgrade, the price is right, you should upgrade because it just makes the competition and the value at the position that much better. So where did where did Leno have issues there in Chicago when you were with him? Yeah. So I think Leno at times um, in, in his pass protection, like he's he's a very good, consistent based player um i just felt like at times he got lazy like he'd let players he shouldn't let win they, they they'd beat him you know and then there were times in the run game where he didn't understand um kind of how to attack the block he was he's such he's a very athletic guy in terms of foot footwork and foot speed and body positioning and he'd always and he'd sometimes he'd just get himself a little bit out of position and then kind of come to the sideline and you'd be talking with the coaches like, oh, you know, why did the running back take it outside? Why did the running back do this? And the coach is trying to explain to them. I'm like, you, you know, like that's the angle that you're on there is not real. It's it's a fake angle because mm -hmm. of how the defensive end is playing you, you know? And so it might feel like you've got a block, but you don't really. And so, uh, you know, I think, I've, you know, I've watched him a little bit since then, and I think he's improved on that. And, you know, everybody has issues like sure, that. Sure, absolutely. Not, you're not going to find a perfect – perfect player you know what i mean but i think he's very talented and it'll be i'm really surprised you know because now they're kind of they've got all of these guys who are you know you know lucas in his own right is a solid football player and then you got cosme you got um uh you know charles and they got morgan and so now it's like this weird musical chairs of who's fitting in where and you've got all these good guards you sign so i that's now that that's become like a really interesting storyline i think well, it is, and and when when you look at it too, you can't help but wonder what are the what's their plan for Moses? Yeah, I, I mean you were, you brought you brought that up off air, and like I you know Morgan to me is one of the best right tackles I played with over the course of my career. So to me, he brings really good value to the team. He's a good locker room guy, great character. But you know, at some point, you got to try to save money where you can save money. I, I don't know exactly what he's do. I think you said around eight million. They, they would save about seven point seven five if they cut him. Yeah, and so like that's a significant number you know that's two other position players that are going to play a lot on your team that you can extend or kind of that, that's that's very valuable money so and especially you got guys coming up on that defensive line you're trying to keep around so i could see them maybe making a move like that and you know only time will tell like you know the nfl is not all, always about who's playing the best at the moment it's about right. the fit and the financial situation so we'll see what happens with him i could be really a bummer to see him go but um i guess i wouldn't be surprised at this point yeah. if that happened and as of right now, I don't have any insight that, that that's going to happen. Right. But I think when a move like this does take place, you have to look at all sort of scenarios. And that obviously is one. So that's why you kind of look at that. As far as let's turn to the draft then. And I'm going to get to Cosby in a minute. But John Bates, right. it's what I really want to talk to you about, too, because don't know. I mean, I watched him play a little bit, saw some of the stuff on YouTube and all that. That's what I know, what I've read and all that. 
What is your take on him? So Bates was really interesting because I was doing the draft show on 106.7 The Fan, and I got to this point, and they called his name, and I was like, of all the tight ends that I watched, which was about 10, like he was not one of them. On all the lists, he was very kind of bottom tier. So kind of in the moment, I quickly pulled out my phone. I'm buzzing through tape as quick as I can in between segments and stuff. And I came to this realization, if you watch the Florida State game, you have a guy here who understands kind of intuitively and athletically how to like sink his hips. He's, he's tall. He's like six, six and a half, two fifty, yep. and uncoil into blocks and keep his balance as he does that. And that's something that is so valuable now in today's NFL. It's almost at a premium because like no one plays with their hand on the ground in line anymore. And if they're doing it, they don't look very good. Like everyone talked about um, Hunter out of Boston college. Right. Like I thought, you know, he's big, he's got the frame, but very kind of lackluster in that department and not enough speed to scare you down the field. So you kind of say, where does he fit? Then you look at Fryermuth, and same thing. You get a guy who's good in the passing game, okay in the passing game and subpar in the run game. And I really felt like the Washington football team needed to find someone to kind of fit that blocking wide tight end role. Like the kid from Ohio state, for example, that got picked up by Jacksonville. I think it was like 15 picks later. He was like my number one blocking wide. And so I think what you're seeing is like those guys getting elevated, right? In the same way that a guy who runs a 4-2 gets elevated because it's so hard to find guys who can not only block like that, but can contribute on special teams. He played three core special teams at Boise State and pretty good in the passing game. Like he's not going to wow you with his speed, but when he attacks the seam – he, he's got this nice fluidity in his shoulders and hips, not really muscle bound up top. And he, it allows him to uh, adjust the ball in the air. When I talked to him, I had an interview with him on draft day and he said he played basketball in high school and you totally see that skill set, right? A guy when the ball's in the air uses that length. Like the ball doesn't get close to him. He catches it nicely with his hands. Um, and I think that that is, that's a really underrated skill set for a man of his size and his stature in conjunction with the run game. You know, everyone I think wanted to go, what was the kid from Miami's name? I forgot, but they wanted to go that direction with the, with the pick. And to me, that's just such a redundant pick. I don't think it adds any value to your team because you have guys like that already on the roster here. You get a little bit of a unicorn. I I don't use that term loosely. Like this is a dying breed of player, but it's essential for NFL offenses to have someone who can do this, who is a good, good in line, but can also kind of make you pay in the past game. He'll end up with probably, I'd say 20 to 25 catches on the year, you know, never going to have, you know, 30, 40 catch guy, but enough production that you can't match. And like with, with, um, with like goal line defense to your base personnel, because you got a guy who's a pretty good receiving threat. So I think like I, after watching him, I love the pick. I didn't know him before, but I love the evaluation. I love that they stuck with their evaluation and they got great value on a guy who has a skill set that not that many people have. Like of the guys in the draft, there were maybe two or three of 20 evaluated guys that I watched. So just keep that in perspective. Like you're getting a skill set here that's so unique. And and that's what they wanted absolutely was was somebody who could block because they do have, you know, Logan Thomas developed as a pass catcher last year and they do have some other guys in house. Samus Reyes, maybe he could develop into a pass catcher too. But watching um, Bates as a blocker, he does finish really well. Yeah. And that's one of the things that you don't always see at that spot either. Yeah, I think, I mean, the more I watch this, for a guy, for a college football player to block with the technical acumen that he blocked with consistently, right? I'm not saying it's like a one-off here or a one-off there. Great pad level, uses those long arms. 
and not bending at the waist, not leaning on people, but sinking his hips, tucking his tail. You hear that phrase all the time, lifting and driving people and creating good movement and understanding how to combination block. That's really tough. You know, that's, it takes a lot of man hours. Like I'm working with Sammy Sreyas right now in terms of blocking stuff. And it's, it's like learning a martial art, right? There's so much technical prowess that goes into these, into these blocks and these positions. And you've got a guy who's got it already. So you don't need to worry about where Sammy's is. You could get, give Sammy's his own role as a pass catcher. Let him be that Jimmy Graham type guy. Let him play receiver basically and let him be a big body athlete. You don't have to force him into this role because you have someone now who's good at it and, and is proficient and is going to make your team much, much better. And, you know, the other thing, too, with with base that that also stood out, even though he, you may he may not catch a high volume, he does have more athleticism than I, right. than people are going to realize. And I always hate that phrase. That's, you know, I'm not going to call him sneaky athletic, but given the description of who he is as a blocker, right. you typically don't you think of a more lumbering guy. He was a triple jump. He was a triple jumper in high school. He was right. a hurdler in high school. Right. So you can see that sometimes where the ability to extend for a catch out in front of them and all that. So yeah, it, it seems like they're... I think that was the other thing that was super impressive. Like if you guys got time, turn on the Florida State game. There's a couple balls where he's running like a wheel route or a seam and the ball's a little high. And usually like, I, you know, there's like everyone thinks of, of athleticism is defined by your 40 time, your vertical right. jump, your three cone. But there is another element to that kind of. Uh, an ability to move in space well. And so he's not going to wow you with those explosive measurements, but the stuff that he does in space, I think shows up very nicely, you know? And I think that's something to keep in mind. Like you talked about basketball, the, the track background, like he's sneaky, sneaky athletic in a, in a way that is because it's, it's not traditionally defined that way. Right. Correct. He's good at like these, this other skill set that doesn't show up on a piece of paper. Right. And, and that's what I say, like, cause you think again of a blocking tight end, that's going to be a certain way. Right. I'm not going to call you sneaky athletic. You <laughs> like, like that guy, you were a hell of a blocker, yeah, but, right. but there is a difference. I don't mean any disrespect. No, no, either. no disrespect. Taken. So, I think, but, I think but yeah. right. Yeah. And then with Reyes and you talk about working with him with his blocking, obviously it's going to matter when you get on the field, where has he gone from when you started with him to where he's at now, just in terms of in all areas, like how has he improved even in those limited sessions? So yeah, I worked out with I've worked out with him probably four four times, five times, and I've hung out with him probably six or seven times. And from the first time I hung out with him to now, I mean, it's like night and day. Like he has come so far in terms of just understanding some of the little nuances. Like you know, he got to spend that time down in Florida at the uh, APG or ARG, whatever that name uh, name of that training facility is down there. And they did a lot of good stuff with him in ter- ter- terms of teaching about route stems and releases. And he's just. I mean, John, he's such a big, fast, explosive human being. It's like you don't see people like that. You know, like I've trained, I've, I've been in the NFL for 10 years. I've seen some of the freakiest human beings on the face of God's green earth. And he is probably top five. Like I'm not exaggerating when I say that. So if you can get him on the field and get him to learn the offense, like there's, he's going to win just because he's physically better than every other human being on the field, probably, you know, and I think that hmm. that skill set. You can't, you know, that's genetics, like mom, dad, and God, they did something and here he is, you know what I'm saying? So like, you got to find a way to take advantage of it. Even if it isn't this year, I definitely think he's going to be a valuable asset at some point in the future. Hey, this is switching complete topics. And again, Cosme in one minute, Tim Tebow. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm incredibly shocked by that. You know, it doesn't seem like it adds 
you know, I, I love Tim Tebow, love the competitor, love what he did in college, love his story when he was in Denver, all that stuff. But I don't think he brings a ton of value to you at the position. And I think that's one of the things you got to look at. Like everyone asks me about tight ends and, oh, this, this receiving tight end. And my one thing when I evaluate a receiving tight end, which Tim Tebow probably will be, is can you win versus man-to-man coverage? Right. And I don't think he can do that anymore. I don't think he could do that before, and that's why he wasn't playing tight end. Like, it's much different to run with the ball and make a guy miss than do what Jordan Reed did for a decade, you know, and yeah. make people miss in space and run those routes, make good decisions. And that comes with time. That comes with repetition. And that, and you have to have a little bit of a genetic predisposition to that kind of skill set. And I love Tim Tebow, but I, I don't know how he fits in today's iteration of the NFL at a position that isn't like an H-back or a fullback where he's going to have to block a ton. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't. I understand Urban Meyer's like connection with him, and I understand you want a good leadership on the team, but uh, you know, in terms of on-field production, I'm not sure where it's going to come. And then with Cosby, and we talked about him before the draft when I had you on, but I yeah. am curious now that he is here, what you think of him, and you know, with Leno here, it could change things for him. But just as a draft pick, what you thought of that pick, and him as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, he's the guy I'm probably most excited about. I think. You know, everyone talks about uh, Jamin Davis and like all the athleticism he brings. I mean, we just talked about Sammy Reyes and all the athleticism he brings. I mean, of those three guys, this is going to sound insane, but based on his uh, his RAS score, Cosme is the most impressive physically of all of those guys. 33 bench press rep, 4840. You know, he had like a 38-inch vertical jump at 310 pounds. He's 6'7". And you see him do stuff on the field that you're like, Holy cow. That's like Trent Williams level athlete. You know, he, he's a little high hipped. He leans on guys more than he should. He gets a little sloppy with his hands. I, I think after watching him more post draft, I think that stems from scheme. I think that stems from coaching. I think the other thing that makes you feel really good is when I talked to all my online buddies, he interviewed off the charts. They loved his personality. They loved his work ethic. They loved his approach. They loved his dedication to the game. He can play both right and left tackle. And so I think you get a tremendous guy. And I think on the upside of that, on the upswing, you get a guy who could be a potential Pro Bowl, 10, uh, Pro Bowl left tackle for 10, 12 years, you know, and I'm not, that, again, that's high end. That's high end. You sure. know what I mean? Like he's got to develop a little bit. You know, we talked about some of his technical deficiencies, but if you watch like LSU 2009, 19, for example, you see a guy who's a legit like top five pick. You know what I mean? He has some bad misses, but he also does some stuff. You're like, you know, there's one or two people on the face of the planet who can do that. And he was facing in that game too. He's facing Chase on too as their yeah. end. And what I liked from him in that game, he got beat a couple of times by Chase, yeah. on, but he yeah. also adjusted to him too. Yeah. And, and, you know, so it shows that ability. And, and, and I think, like you said, he's played, you know, 2,500 snaps in college football. And so he's seen a lot of stuff. He has this kind of football Rolodex that he can go to. Oh, I got beat with a long arm by Chase on this one play. Let me, and the next play, you see him bat it down and set on, and it's beautiful, right? And it's just for a guy to be that athletic and that big, and you know, I think he could add a little weight to his frame. Like I said, the technique issues are going to nip him. He, that is something that I'm really like going to watch very thoroughly because if he doesn't get those fixed, he's just going to be a guy. Honestly, he's just going to be a, a solid role player in the NFL, which is fine. But you lose that top end production. I think he's got to right. clean pass set. He's got to clean up his pad level can't be leaning on people all the time because when he doesn't do those things you see flashes of greatness and that that's exciting i think he's going to be a great pro good pro just kind of 
coming to the NFL. And I think that's a huge advantage. And so I, I'm super excited to see where he goes just because I think there's so much potential there. But I also think the floor there is is, is pretty low, too. So there's kind of like this big swing right. to what you're going to get. When you look at that, too, you talk about like scheme and coaching. Can you tell when it's like, OK, this is what they're being asked to do versus this is just an issue? Well, I think just knowing what I know about the guy, you know what I mean? Like he's supposed to be really football smart, very intuitive. And like you'll see his technique just as an example. I was watching this before I got on the call. They're in like a slide to the left. So his eyes are looking left and he's posting with his right hand, expecting the guard to be coming with him on the slide. And the guard won't come, but it ends up looking super sloppy, right? He gets his hand knocked down. He kind of stumbles over and the guard's not there because the guard's looking at the blitzer coming down. And so stuff like that, obviously, like there's a scheme component there, right? If you said, hey, uh, Cosby, block this guy, it looks drastically different. Like if you watch the LSU game, they're running a little bit more man pro. It looks much more confident, much more assertive, much more dexterous with his feet. And then they got this scheme thing in 2020 where it's like, I don't know if it's because of the, the COVID season, but a lot of kind of sloppy, kind of um, really sloppy zone principles in the run game. So you get them kind of running on these tracks kind of in slow motion as opposed to just darting for the guy like you saw in 2019. And so you kind of say they're coaching that, right? And there is an advantage to that coaching style, but I don't think it's emphasizing his skill set. And so that's something that I'm curious to see how they do here because like, they have some of those same tenants here, but I think if you have a good offensive line coach, you can get them saying, hey, we're going to play faster than this. We're going to do this a little bit better. So, Folks, that's why Logan Paulson is the best. That right there. Excuse me. <laughs> that stuff right there is really good. So but the last thing here, Logan, is there another draft pick when you look at this class that that you say, I can't wait to see this guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, okay, because everyone's going to say Jamin, and I think Jamin's a pretty outstanding guy. Um, but the the receiver, what's his name? Uh, Diami Brown. Diami Brown, yeah. I'm I'm really curious to see how he develops. He played predominantly on the left side in college, and he's an explosive kind of playmaking machine, which is really cool. And he brings this really neat element to the offense. Now you have three deep at wide receiver. Everyone's super dangerous. And I'm a little concerned about his 40 time, and I'm a little concerned about his on-field like explosive ability, you know, because of how he ran and like, you know, like some of his even big plays, he's kind of in a contested catch situation or it's a double move. He's not just like, horsepower beating somebody on a route you know and so how does that skill set translate did he just run poorly you know is he a better football is he more football fast right and i think if he is if he's all those things that he was in college when he was playing this offense all of a sudden looks lights out you're getting a guy who i i didn't feel this way about him but a lot of people i spoke with said late first early second and you get him with your second pick in the third so you're getting really good value you know and i think if he can live up to that evaluation that some of those people had on him, I think this offense is going to be lights out. So he ran around a 4-4. Did you think he was going to run faster? I thought he was going to run faster, honestly. He, I think he was a 4-4-7, so almost a 4-5, you know what I mean, which was a little off. Like, I mean, again, we're in this age now where, like, you know, 4-4-4 is, like, slow. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that was that was when I watched, when I, when I read up on him, I was like, oh, that's a little – Concerning. I think the more concerning element is that in college, he only played on the left. Right. Right. right? And so you're kind of like, what else can he do? And we, I got to speak to him on the draft day show and he was saying, oh, well, I've, you know, when I was in college, I practiced all the positions. So, he, you know, maybe you feel a little bit better about that, having interviewed and talked with him. But, you know, if he, if he could live up to that kind of the billing and the play style that he had in college, this offense is going to be lights out, especially with a guy like Fitzpatrick. Right. So. And you know, it's funny with him too, when I, wa- when I was watching some of his games, 
what I noticed is that the cornerback covering him was always a yard or two deeper than the corner on the right. other side. Right. And, and, you know, and so that opens up comebacks and hitches yeah. and things like that too. So you can do some things with him. And he also seemed to track the ball well down the field. I love that. I love that you brought that up. I think of the guys that I watched at receiver, I didn't watch a ton of receivers, but of the guys that I watched, I thought he had a really nice, just a special ability to kind of track and attack the ball in the air and kind of make these big, like everyone's like, Oh, he, he's, he's a big, he's fast, right? That's what he makes plays. But to me, the more important element of him making big plays was like, his a focus on the ball when it's mm -hmm. in the air. Like he's, I felt like there was like during my evaluation, I was like, Oh my gosh, like it's his, like the ball's in the air. Like he's going to catch it. There was like this tremendous confidence that he brought you know what i mean because of how he tracked the ball because of how he adjusted because of how he fought for the ball and i think those skill sets um will translate very nicely to the nfl awesome well i'm i'm looking forward to seeing some of these guys this weekend at the rookie mini camp oh yeah man you get the inside scoop yeah. look it's, at you yeah well i'm just i'm happy to go i just want to go back and watch player football players on the yeah. field again yeah. and get back to a situation where we can watch them in training camp. And well, we did watch them last year too. So it wasn't like we couldn't, but to watch a full practice again and to see them for the first time is always fun because you got start to see there's no, like there's no fancy quarterback out there to judge like Robert or, you know, yeah. Dwayne when he was here, but it will be interesting to see. I, I'm curious to see him. I'm curious to see Shaka Tony, how he looks off the edge and what, yeah. they, what they plan for him. So it'll be fun to do that. But I always appreciate you coming on because people learn when you're on here. So thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on, John. Uh, always a pleasure, man. Thank you. This show can be found on Podcast DC, the new local app with hundreds of options in local news, health, and, of course, of the DMV region. Download the Podcast DC app to hear all the Empire shows, as well as the other great content. I'm Byron Kerr, your host for the Curly W Podcast. Join me on the Curly W for the very latest on the Washington Nationals. We'll give you an inside look as to what's happening with the Nats right now, and give you also a chance to visit with Nats players and coaches, present and past, to tell you what it's like and what they hope to accomplish with the Nationals. From Fredericksburg to Nats Park, West Palm Beach to Rochester, Wilmington to Harrisburg, it's all Nats baseball. Subscribe to Curly W wherever you get your podcasts. Another great show from Empire Media. That's it for this episode. I appreciate Logan joining me and thank you as always for listening. I believe I told you last time that this episode was going to be about Shaka Tony. Well, I switched at the last minute because of the Leno news and I wanted to get Paulson on here now. And I, you know, because I had a chance to talk to him, I did it but I will run the podcast about Tony talking to one of his Penn State coaches next week, and that will be good too. I'll be back with this weekend with a podcast about the rookie minicamp. Talk to you next time.